Well, I'm very much into philosophy. A lot of different philosophers that I've read over the years, like uh, Nietzsche, uh, Darwin, Freud, uh, Aleister Crowley, and uh, finally Anton LaVey. And uh, fortunately, he's you know, still alive, so I got to meet with him and talk about his ideas and things like that. And uh, in America, Satanism is... Uh, sensationalized and kind of misunderstood and people associate it with worshiping the devil and things like that but it's really a philosophy about uh, individuality and self-preservation it's about uh, you know being your own god Diaz is now cancelled, so that's, you know, um, a loss for literature, a win for the entire world, because you sound like kind of a dick. But um, we've got uh, someone who isn't a dick with us today, and it's El Nash. Uh, not a dick, guaranteed. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, you know, well, you could turn out to be a dick. We've only been talking for like a few minutes. You could uh -huh. like become a jerk at, at any moment. I could. I, I hope not. It could happen, it could happen. happen to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, as if the last few years has taught us anything, is that everyone you like will eventually become a monster, um, and that's kind of how it goes. So, before we both become monsters, uh, let's talk about your book because it's kind of about people being horrible to each other and sex and. Uh, a ton of stuff actually um for a, a slim little book of like 120 sync pages mm. there's there's a fair bit going on here so the book's called animals eat each other mm -hmm. it's on the zank am I, am I doing that right zank. uh the zank yeah the zank it's came out uh what was it last month yeah it came out in april I can't believe it it's is. May now. That's so crazy. I know. This year has just disappeared. <laughs> I know. It's been like the fastest year of my life. Mm -hmm. And it's the same length as all other years. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just, it was like January yesterday. But um, yeah, and I guess for you, it's been a hell of a year because this is your first book. It uh, is my first book. Yeah. People are loving it. I've seen a lot of praise out there. I, it is good as hell, and Thank um, you. yeah, let's let's talk about it. But let's actually talk about you first, because you wrote this book. Mm -hmm. Um. So, El Nash, where? Tell us about yourself. Where Where are you from? Uh, where did you grow up? What's okay. What's the story? Um. So I was bo actually born in uh, Harrogate, North Yorkshire, and uh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. I was about to say, where are you from? Uh, not the north, uh, like way, way south. I was born in Cornwall, which is like oh. a sticky out bit that is full of pirates and King Arthur. Nice. And um, any further south, I'd be French. So very, I'm not, very not north. I'm a southern sand, shandy drinking wanker, up through and through. So you're basically, you're, uh, part of, you're basically part of like the cool part of England, the one with all the, the like cool history. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's got pretty cool history. I mean, its history is made up is the problem like <laughs> king, king arthur and merlin is like the history of where i'm from but that's not real so it's not really history <laughs> and uh the only real history is like tin mining uh which got shut down in the 80s by margaret thatcher mm -hmm. and uh pirates who are also gone so yeah real history is all gone the history that's still there is fake 
and mm. now there's poverty and drinking and drug problems where I live. So it's it's kind of like uh, Britain's Appalachia, where the kind of part of the mm. country I'm from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's I her? think. Oh, go ahead. Oh, what's her Harrogate like? I've never been. So I actually I left when I was two, so I don't really remember a lot of it. But I still have some family in Otley, and from like just my experience of talking to them and stuff, it seems nice. I mean, it seems like a small town. I know that my one of my mom's sisters, her daughters, like live on the same street, like a couple streets down from her even, you know, and they're like really close and they all have like a lot of kids and stuff. Um, but it's really easy for me to like idealize it because I haven't been back ever. I would like to go back one day. You never visited Britain at all? No, not since we left when I was like two years old. My dad was in the military. He's American. So, um, yeah, when we left, um, we like stayed in upstate New York for a while with his parents. And then my dad was stationed, um, like in Georgia in the South. Um, and then when I was like nine or 11 or something like that, I can't really remember the age. I think it was closer to 11. Um, I think my dad got out of the military then and he retired in Colorado Springs. And so that's where I ended up spending a lot of my teenage years, which is sort of Colorado Springs is the setting for animals to eat each other. Mm, Yeah. And, um, yeah. And Colorado Springs is like an interesting town because, um, it's extremely religious, but like, it's not like Southern religious. It's really weird because I think there's like over 400 churches like in this, in the town alone. Um, and it's not like, it's like a huge city or anything like that. Um, they have a couple mega churches. I don't know. It's like, you know, those churches where big Mm -hmm. bands play and like tons of people show up and it's like this big concert, like on Sunday instead of like sermons, you know, Yeah. like Joel Austin. Yeah. Like Joel Austin type stuff. Um, The guy who closed the door of his mega church to people while they were drowning. Yeah. Real super Christian about it. Yeah. And actually, um, the church that the big mega church that's up north in Colorado Springs, uh, the pastor there was Ted Haggard. And I don't know. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard the name. He's like a, a big name in like the evangelical thing and very like, involved with a lot of politicians as well. Yeah. Um, he, uh... I don't know if he pastors there anymore, but like a long time ago, there was this huge scandal with him where I guess he was found soliciting prostitution. From young men oh, and like doing meth yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Wow. Nice. Um, I know. And um, the city's also weird because there's like five military bases. So there's like a lot of like, there's a feeling of transience in the city too. It's very like, but yeah, yeah, it's just a very weird city. But there's also like a lot of natural beauty here, which I think everyone seems to focus on. But like when you grow up here, you kind of just like, I don't know. You don't really care about that stuff. It just kind of becomes a backdrop for everything. Hmm. And so you grew up there. And how did you like get? What were you like as a kid? Because you, you write to the you know, protagonist is nineteen, and uh, she lives in Colorado Springs, like you said. I'm, I'm guessing. I don't want to like say is this autobiographical, but I'm guessing there's you draw on a bit of your experience there. Or, or well, did yeah. You? Maybe you're, I mean. Like, yeah, like I have experience being a teenager and feeling lost. I have experience, um, you know, like uh, doing drugs or whatever as a young person um, and being in like really fucked up relationships. Um, the book is definitely fictionalized, you know, um, and it's sort of my exploration of like what manipulation looks like between people, you know, uh, manipulation as like a survival tactic. Um I also really, like, I'm really interested in the things people do when they, like, know something is bad for them or they know something is, like, unethical, but then they kind of continue to push into it anyway. I mean, it's kind of like the way drug addiction works. Like, you know what you're doing, like, isn't good for you. It's not good for your body or your mind or, you know, your life in general. But, like, still, you know, you still continue to partake there's like a line between when something is compulsive and when something is a choice there's like a very thin line and i really like exploring what that line is you know so 
yeah, I mean, it, it does that really well. Is there anything like in your own life that's you're still struggling with like that? Any compulsions? Um, I don't think so. I mean, having a kid like really forces you to straighten your shit out <laughs> in yeah, a lot man. of ways. Yeah, and I spent, I mean, I've spent a long time like working towards um, like having a sound mind, you know, and it, I think that's always going to be a process. Like everyone feels sad or feels unbalanced or like despair at some points in time. Um, and I definitely do still struggle with those things. But like as far as like when I was younger, like the amount of drugs I was doing or um, like I used to have an eating disorder, like starving myself all the time. Like a lot of those compulsions I don't have anymore. But I still struggle with like the mental side of things, like low self-esteem or whatever. You just have to like work at it. It's continue, like continue. It's a continual process. So, um, what kind of stuff works for you? If if I'm if I can ask, like, oh, you mean you... you mean like in terms of, like yeah, like, like building self-esteem, not falling back into bad habits, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. Man, that's a really good question. Um, cause I've had a, like, someone has asked me this question recently. I'm like, man, what do I do? Like one thing that was really interesting, uh, like when I was dealing with my eating disorder is I've kind of come to accept that I'm just going to be obsessed with food for the rest of my life. <laughs> mm -hmm. And like, and like, that's okay. You know, it's okay to be obsessed with things. Um, you know, I just have to make sure that I'm not doing something to it, my detriment like now of course having a kid I do want to be like a good role model and like practice good behaviors for my kid um but like I think you know I've the last like year or so I've been like kind of reading a lot more about um Buddhism and like looking into um a lot of like self-analytical practices that come with Buddhism and sort of see like putting those things into practice I think has kind of helped in a way too like if I'm like feeling like hopeless or whatever you know there's a there's a lot of effort that goes into just telling myself you know like um you're allowed to feel the feelings like it's okay to feel the feelings um you know how you react to them is like really the important thing um, the actions that you take, like out of those feelings, you know, like that has an impact. And like when it comes to like depression and stuff, it's like, yeah, it's okay to feel sad. Like you're not wrong just because you feel like you're struggling with these things. And in some ways that kind of helps me to like let go of them. But I mean, it's not perfect, you know, like everyone has work to do. So, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned Buddhism because there's kind of uh, the, the book kind of, you can read it in a Buddhist way, um, if you get what I mean. You can, you can read like the uh, Four Noble Truths into this. The uh, cause of suffering is desire and so on. Mm. Well, mostly the first one, the cause of suffering is desire, because pretty much everyone in the book is fucking themselves up because of desire for something. And uh, so I want to get back into that later. but. Let's just keep on your um, your life. So, how did you? What were you reading growing up, and what kind of arts and outputs did you have when you were a kid or, or teenager? Um, that's a really good question. I think when you know when I was a teenager, I read a lot of um, like Francesca Leah Block. Um, she writes. A, she's a young adult author who writes um really good stuff about like queer kids who feel alienated who you know a lot of these people have they come from like broken homes or um like they just feel like outsiders in society um and she does a really good job of writing these characters who like have these problems but she doesn't yeah she doesn't uh she doesn't make those problems like a central tenant of the characters lives so, um, yeah, I really like Francesca Leah Block's, works, uh, Block's work because she does a really good job of presenting these characters who have, like, these kind of outsider fringe issues um, that 
are real problems that teenagers deal with, but she doesn't make those problems like the central focus of their lives. And so like when you're a teenager, it's really easy for your troubles to like become your central identity. At least it was for me, you know, like uh, I, yeah, like I was like, you know, focused on like, oh, I'm so like sick or whatever. Like I'm just so sad and this is just who I am. Um, and I really liked the fact that she would always present these characters who go through these struggles, but there's like other stuff going on in their life too. You know, it's like not the, the only thing that a person is, it's not their illnesses, you know? So I really like her work. Um, and when I was, I don't know, like 17, I think I read Fight Club for the first time. And I know a lot of people say this, but I really did. Um, I really did feel inspired by Chuck Palahniuk's early work. Um, yeah. like Invisible Monsters. Books were, yeah. Yeah, um, Invisible Monsters was so good, and I really liked Lullaby. Um, Choke was decent, and, um, his, his writing when I was a teenager really did, um, inspire me to, like, sort of pursue writing more as well. Yeah, I think, like, that first generation of, teenagers who got into Bolnick um is kind of coming of age now mm -hmm. and we're seeing that in in fiction I, I never actually thought about him in terms of your work uh, so that's a uh, because you don't write like him he's got a very distinct voice and, yeah yeah uh, you can always tell when someone's inspired by him specifically yeah but, um, yeah um, I'll have a I'll have a think about uh how his stuff plays into yours but um, yeah, his first couple of books, like Survivor was a really good book. And Fight Club was, uh, it's got its dodgy politics and it's kind of inspired some pretty dumb people. Yeah. Even dumber. But um, it's definitely got its moments and the book is, is does some stuff that the film, which most people are familiar with, uh, doesn't right. do. Like th there's a pretty strong uh, queer uh, subtext in the um, book There's just pretty gone in the film unless you yeah. consider brad pitt's oiled abs to be quit subtext <laughs> yeah which kind of was for me as a teenager but um it yeah he's uh he's got a new one out hasn't he uh, adjustment day I yeah i uh, don't know if you read that but um no i haven't but i recently like saw a review pop up on my twitter feed and it said like something about how it's, it was, like, similar to Fight Club, but expanded, and I found that interesting. I'm only curious about it because, like, after, like, he wrote Pygmy, and I hated that book. I thought it was so awful, and yeah. after that, I just, it's, like, written completely in, like, um, like, broken English, I guess. I'm not really sure. It's been, like, forever since I've even picked it up or anything, but after that, I just kind of, like, stopped reading him, mm -hmm. and, yeah, like, uh... I'm curious to see if Adjustment Day will will be good, you know, so. Hmm. Yeah, apparently he was, like, hanging out with, uh, like, separatists and alt-right guys and um, not, like, hanging out socially, but, like, for research to make this book. Oh, really? So, I did not know that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping he got some interest out of it because um, it's, it's kind of easy to look at that kind of um, that world and come up with pre-standard answers and pre-boring stuff and there's been a yeah. lot of books that have done that uh, not much in fiction because it's still a bit too new but um yeah I'm, I'm hoping he got something interesting out of it i'm hoping it's like 1990s bornick rather than the 2000s one that yeah i think pretty much everyone who liked him as a teenager went through the same thing that you and i did of getting up to like um like past lullaby and just like Falling off the wagon with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you um, I remember hearing on a, a podcast you did, uh, I forget which one, uh, that you went to uh, a writing workshop that was also attended by him and uh, Cheryl Strayed, who did that. Um, I can't remember the name of the thing now. It was a big famous movie with Reese Witherspoon. Uh, uh. Walking drugs, walking. Walking Drugs Walking was the name of the film, and um, I, I remember that. Uh, yeah, you did a, a writing workshop that those guys had attended, right? Yeah, um, so uh, Tom Spanbauer is, uh, 
he's a writer that lives in Portland, Oregon. And yeah, and he, he would uh, hold a workshop in his basement. Um, like, well, he did, he did like a once a week meeting and then there was like a yearly weekend workshop that he would do called dangerous writing. Um, and Tom Spanberry, he's a student of Gordon Lish. So I think they're all part of the like kind of minimalist school of writing. Um, and I did go to that workshop in 2013. And after that I did continue to workshop with him, um, on my own book for, I think like roughly two years. So for roughly two years or so. Um, and he's amazing. Like he is one of the best writers that I've ever read. Uh, I feel so lucky to have been able to work with him and like be one of his students. And I think Chuck, uh, wrote, or workshopped his work with Tom in the nineties. Um, so yeah, a lot of, yeah, a lot of like really good writers have kind of been through a workshop. Cool. So what kind, what did you get out of it? Cause I mean, I did like a long ass MFA with, uh, and I kind of struggle sometimes to tell people what I spent all this time and money to do. <laughs> Um, I know I'm a better writer because of it. I know some of my, my classmates have got like best debut of the year and stuff. And mm -hmm. shit, one, of, one of my um, alumni just won a Nobel Prize. So must be doing something right. But, Dude, that's like, awesome. <laughs> yeah, Kazuo Shigeru. Um, go UBA. Oh, uh, really? Go, yeah, oh, go that's Pirates. Cool. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't put into words what I got out of it. I, can you with uh, Tom Spambar? Um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, like, I definitely, I learned how to edit my own work. And I also, I, I think the really good thing from working with him was I was able to learn like a specific set of style rules that allowed me to first figure out like the elements of fiction and like what the hell I'm doing when I'm trying to tell a story. Mm -hmm. Um, but like after that, I did spend like a good like six months to a year feeling like, like maybe my voice isn't my own anymore. And maybe it's just Tom's voice, you know, because I was working with him so closely. And through that process, I actually, you know, I was able to like break through the rules that I did learn and continue to do like work on my own shit and like develop my own voice. So I think what I did get from it was I needed to first like learn a set of rules so I can understand like the basic functions of like what fiction is doing when I'm writing it, you know? And then from there, like when I'm trying to like edit something that I've worked on, you know, and then from there I was able to like break whatever rules that did exist to my own liking, you know, until I found something that I was like satisfied with when I was writing. Um, and I never had that. Like I, I got my degree in journalism, so I didn't really learn how to, I mean, I, I always wrote creatively, but I didn't really learn it like academically. And I had also considered getting an MFA as well. But, um, as far as like expenses go, you know, I was like never going to be able to afford or take out the loans to be able to go to a fully funded or not a fully funded, but like an MFA program. And I have like my own qualms too about like the ethics of having an MFA program that you pay for that isn't fully funded when there is such a small amount of academic positions available for you to teach at like mm -hmm. afterwards, you know, like there are way more graduates that are being pushed out than can ever find, you know, solid academic work in the market. So like for people who are just going to focus on their writing, that's awesome. But like if, if you're trying to secure like employment afterwards, after spending all of this money to do it, it just like, it seems like, you know, unfortunate and unfair. Mm. Um, oh yeah. 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 Um, but I did get that out of it. You know, I, I got that, like trying to learn that process out of it. And now, even now, like <clears throat> if I don't know, if I like look at a story and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I can kind of go back to those, a lot of those rules sometimes and like think about, um, like, ways that I can like manipulate the language in a story to sound, you know, the way that I want it to. So it just kind of gave me like this little foundation, you know, cause I didn't even know, like I, I always feel like in comparison to everyone else, I'm, I'm really not well read, you know, like, um, like when I talk to people who have gone through MFA programs and stuff, like there's a lot of things that I don't know, writers that I have not written classics that I have never 
touched, you know. I feel like I kind of have like this basic bitch education on it that I've like piecemeal together, you know. No, but it's not uh, an MFA thing. I, I've I've got a degree in American literature. I've never read Hemingway. Or, yeah, I've never, <laughs> I've never read Moby Dick or um, Huckleberry Finn. Or uh, I've read Neuromancer like eight times in my classes, but I've never read any of the classics. Yeah, there's like way too much literature out there. I don't think anyone should feel um, like they haven't collected enough literary Funko Pops to be a a literary person. I mean, with the amount of of people who just don't read, just like having a reading a few books a year is kind of an accomplishment. So yeah, I've gone over my um, uh, my um, size matters uh, feeling about my bookshelf. So. But um, but uh, so we're coming up to about halfway. So I wanted to take a little break to play some music, and um, this is kind of inspired by the music in the book because uh, Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson both come up a f- mm-hmm. fair good bit in there. I'm guessing that, like me, you're a fan, or you're probably still a bit of a fan, like I am, but way more of a fan when you're a teenager of these guys. Yeah, yeah, actually, I was gonna say, like, it's funny, because, like, with Palinyuk, it's kind of the same thing, where, like, you, like, love a person's work, and then, like, as their work ages, and they become a lot more, like, I don't want to say mainstream, but their work hits, like, peak saturation, Mm -hmm. you kind of, like, become less satisfied with, like, the stuff that they're making, and it can end up sounding, like, overproduced, kind of like, uh, like Jonathan Davis, like he just had this like solo single come out, and I just like I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah, I, I but like Corn like, is so good. Like it's the newer stuff that's like I'm not really a fan of. Yeah, Corn were my childhood. Like the first band I ever saw live was Corn. I had every one of their albums. I had clothes. I put up stickers for them all over my hometown. I think the stickers still there. And, yeah, um, I love Corn, but I the last four or five albums i've just never touched i couldn't name a single song off them i know they did some awful thing with skrillex at one point yeah and, uh, and uh marilyn manson's last few albums haven't been great i mean maybe he kind of started going off at about golden age of the grotesque which is the one that gets referenced quite a lot in animals yeah like the last few nine inch nails albums have been pretty bad i've only heard a single of the last one and it's not great i don't even know if i've heard it yeah it, it played on the radio a few times because it was it was pretty radio friendly yeah and, uh, you don't go to nine inch nails for radio friendly you go to <laughs> fuck you like an animal that kind of stuff perfect yeah drunk. i do yeah. have to say though that i think there's like two acoustic songs on a manson album <clears throat> that came out maybe recently i can't remember which one it is but the two acoustic songs that i heard they were actually like really good and i was shocked to hear something acoustic like from manson must be like me getting old and sentimental because i'm like oh acoustic versions you know like so nice (laughs) i I haven't actually i think i think i had to listen to the pale emperor to review it for a magazine this like second from last one and it wasn't bad bad but it wasn't like it wasn't antichrist superstar which is fucking classic (laughs) in my estimation Oh yeah, it's so good. But um, that brings us to the song I was going to play, which is a cover of Terrible Lie by Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. And it's by a band called, it's by two bands, uh, The Body, who also do the um, theme tune for this particular podcast, and uh, Thou, Thou, T-H-O-U. Mm-hmm. Uh, my working class accent doesn't allow me to render T-H sounds, it does them as Fs. Mm-hmm. And um, they're from Louisiana, and they're brilliant. They've got a new album out pretty soon. Uh, the Body have a new album out in May, like in a couple of weeks, which is amazing. I've already played one of the songs uh, on this podcast. And uh, yes, this is um, this is Body and Dow doing Terrible Lie.
let's go back into the book because um, when did you start writing um, animals? Um, I actually started writing it in, I think, 2013 or 2014, right a little bit after um, I uh, did the workshop with Tom. And had you, like, done short stories up until that point? And uh, had you, like, started a project and abandoned it? Or what was your history at, at that point? Yeah, I had started, um, I had started writing a sci-fi novel um, in like 2012 maybe, and I just like didn't know, like again, like I didn't know what I was doing trying to like write fiction. I just didn't, I didn't know even how, how to construct a novel or anything like that. Um, and that project is, I mean, it will probably reemerge one day as something completely different. And I had written a few short stories um, in poetry. I'd, you know, I've written poetry since I was like 16 or so. Um, and then this uh, story started as a short story, but then just kind of like kept, expanding and I just felt like I really didn't need to expand it until I felt like it was finished so so what was the sci-fi story about um I wanted to do a novel on uh the disclosure project or project blue book um yeah but then um I don't know I just kind of like lost steam like there's a part of me sometimes that feels like uh our belief in aliens the way they're represented like in our media is about like the fear of technology or the fear of the future in a way um not that i don't think intelligent life doesn't exist i do think that there is other life like in the universe but in terms of like how like we're consuming the media about it you know um i wanted to kind of like explore this idea that it was just it is about like our fear but you think that might reemerge one day yeah, but I think I might look at it from the perspective of like uh, the relationships of the people, like in the book that I was writing, because um, it, you know, it was also about um, like one of the main characters uh, has a PTSD, and so I really wanted to look at like how what PTSD looks like, like in a relationship, um, and like how society reacts to it, and that sort of thing as well. So I think I, I kind of am more interested in examining that aspect. So, yeah, my interests have just changed. I definitely find more satisfaction in writing when I'm, like, examining the relationships between people rather than, um, like, more sci-fi stuff. But maybe one day I will, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of decent literary sci-fi out there. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I love sci-fi. Don't get me wrong. I just don't know if I can do world building. I just don't know if I'm good enough at that, you know? But world like, building is the easy part, I think. Like, oh my god, I feel I like it's to, so hard. Really, I, I used to like read Slush for a, a agent, and I, there were so many uh, sci-fi and fantasy novels that had like massively elaborate world building with all these different countries and cities and races and like the whole trade mm. system and the agriculture, and no characters. The, the characters mm. were just like dwarf, elf, warrior, mm-hmm. and. Uh, or space captain robots, buxom mm-hmm. space babe, and um, yeah, just just find some nerd to build your world for you. Just like, yeah. go to a comic store and like pick pick some dude, and he'll he'll build the world. You you populate it with real characters, and it'll be right. like the best. It'll be like next game of Thrones. But um, let's go back to animals. Uh, how did you? So you spent. Uh, f- three, four years on the writing. How did you go about like agenting and getting a publisher and doing that whole business? Because I've, I've actually never spoken to, about that with um, people on the show before. And, yeah, and that's um, kind of like inside baseball stuff, but uh, it interests me at least. I think I got really lucky because um, Michael Seidlinger, who runs Civil Coping Mechanisms, had asked if I was working on anything, and he was also working for Dezang Books at the time. And so when I sent him my manuscript, which was in process, um, he threw it up the chain and they just, they loved it and uh, wanted to publish it. Um, and so I think in that respect, like, uh, that's, I think that's, I don't know if that's very unusual, but uh, I just feel like, I, I don't know, I got like really lucky in that respect. And um, you have to go through the whole like uh, querying agents and uh, sending off like 500 emails and all that business. Yeah. 
Well, and I've done that before for like short stories and stuff like that too. But I also, my, my plan was like animals was going to come out and then I was going to write a second manuscript. And with that manuscript, I was going to query agents. Um, and so like, that was like the process that I was working on while I was finishing animals and like preparing for the book to be released was like trying to get, um, the second manuscript sort of started, you know, and like figuring out like what I'm doing and like trying to figure out agents that I could query. Um, but then the, then publishers weekly, um, put out the starred review of my novel and, um, that really opened a lot of doors for me because I had a couple of agents who did contact me. Um, and, uh, one of them in particular, uh, I just like clicked with right away. Um, and he really loved my work and I talked to him about my next manuscript idea and he really enjoyed it. Um, and so, uh, I decided to, you know, uh, go with him. His name's Kent Wolf with the Friedrich agency. Mm -hmm. Um, and like that, I mean, I mean, that's been like, uh, really awesome. But I do like, I think that like, as I was approaching it before that, I was like, it feels like the process of getting agented is so secretive. Like, I feel like it, it's just, it was hard to like find like people who were agents. I don't know. Maybe I just like, wasn't like, you know, doing enough research or anything. It was like, uh, it seemed like, yeah, like it was like kind of like this like secretive process or whatever, <laughs> but, hmm. yeah. but yeah, I think like, getting it right is a secret like there's there's tons of shit out there for just like here's what should go in a query letter and here's a big directory of all these agents yeah like, and you can spam like 500 agencies all over the world and but i think getting it right is the secret and yeah a lot of people have, have spoken to about this they've all got different stories so i don't think there's like a right way but i think there's there's like a generic way that doesn't really work and that's the yeah. 500 emails to everyone. Well, and it's yeah. like that with submitting short stories and stuff too. Like when I do, I read submissions for um, my own lit literary magazine, Witchcraft, or uh, for Hobart, which I edit fiction for. And sometimes, yeah, it's like people don't, they're just kind of like spraying and praying. And, mm. you know, the story is like, this isn't even something that we necessarily publish, you know? So um, it's kind of like you want to be sure that, like, you're querying the right agent, someone who is interested in the work, you know, that you're working on, you know? Hmm. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, like you said, a lot of people are interested in the work that you're working on or have worked on, animals. And, um, yeah, we've gone a quite long time without actually talking what, about what it's about. Um, so we should probably get into a synopsis for this. Uh, to tell the uh, folks at home, um, what is uh, Animals Eat Each Other about? Um, yeah, I think the shortest way I can describe the story is it's about um, a 19-year-old girl who um, is feeling sort of aimless. Um, she, you know, does a lot of pharmaceutical drugs, um, and she lives in a trailer park with her mom, uh, who is a widow, and she gets involved with a couple who has a child, um, and it all goes uh, terribly wrong. And she's basically just kind of trying to figure out, like, what her place is in that situation and figuring out, like, you know, she wants to be validated and, like, feel good about herself. And she kind of, like, uses this couple for that. And the couple mm -hmm. also kind of, like, uses her for their own ends as well. And so it just kind of, like, explores um, that and also explores uh, like female friendships and relationships and in, in the queer sense, I guess. So. Yeah. Cause, um, Lilith, uh, although that's not her real name, it's the name the couple, um, Matt and Francis give her. She's also kind of carrying on a relationship with her boss at Radio Shack, her best yeah. friend, uh, Jenny, um, who I was kind of shipping. I was kind of hoping they would, sort it all out and realize they should be together. That's just my little, my, my shipping of them. Yeah. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, she's like, I think it's fair to say she uses sex to fill a void. And, mm -hmm. um, that's kind of something that's been 
coming up a lot in stuff I've been reading lately. Like um, I just started with um, Melissa Broder's uh, The Pisces. Mm. Uh, and that's a big uh, thing in it. Um, and also Mermen. But, um, I'm so excited to read that book. It's really good. Yeah, it's, I'm going to be doing a pod about it uh, next week-ish. It's going to be the next one. Um, but um, yeah, it's been come up a, a lot lately, this uh, whole um, an itch I can't scratch, uh, to quote you. And I um, just want to read a little bit here about, uh, it's from the chapter. And you do probably the best chapter titles I've ever read in any work of anything ever. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the chapter called the satanic bible says man is just another animal i'm pretty sure the meaning of life is about sex otherwise why do we suffer so much for it why do guys get jobs they hate why do men marry women they don't like why do girls do the stupid shit they do why do they all seem so fucking unhappy this whole game is just a giant trick to get us to fuck each other and make more ugly people until the earth burns solve et coagula people die they become dirt People are born, they suffer, they fuck, give birth, die, dirt, over and over again. Everything in between is us running away from it. Even if you never make babies, there's some bullshit in your blood that just pushes you to fuck people. The sooner we all accept that, the easier our lives will be. Yeah, that's, um, that one kind of stuck out to me as kind of a, like a mini thesis statement for, for the book. And well, not like... It's not like that's the moral of the story exactly, but it's um, that's the kind of thinking that gets the characters into the situation to get into, mm -hmm. in a way. And um, like uh, uh, Matt, the couple guy, approaches it through this whole uh, like cod Satanism thing. Mm -hmm. It's kind of new metal Satanism, mm -hmm. and um, and uh, Lilith has this like very nihilistic outlook and this uh this term uh soviet coagula uh, why don't you just tell the folks at home about that what what it means and where it's from because that's an interesting one yeah um oh that's such a good question actually because now i'm like oh it's so early <laughs> um so the first time i ever heard the term was from uh looking at marilyn manson's tattoos i think um, but it's, uh, it's basically this Latin phrase that means to dissolve and come together. And, uh, when I first thought of it, uh, to me, basically it did like, it does, I think I talk in the book about like how, uh, like entropy is like the natural state of the universe and that everything is always like kind of coming apart, um, into chaos. But then at the same time, um, it's trying to forcibly push everything back into these like more organized structures. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I was just like really fascinated with that. Yeah. It's kind of like the counterpoint to this, um, this nihilistic outlook. Yeah. But it, it, I'm, I'm trying to articulate what I'm thinking here. So Lilith has, is trying to scratch that itch, fill the hole, fill the void inside of her by solving coagula, dissolving herself in other people's lives mm -hmm. um, through sex, through drink, drugs, and trying to, yeah, trying to just dissolve into nothing and like join this like big goo of humanity. Mm -hmm. And um, it doesn't work. Uh, spoilers. Mm -hmm. uh, in case yeah, you thought that would work, but um, yeah, it it that's um that idea of like subsuming yourself in other people and or in anything outside of yourself in order to um just get rid of the just the pain and to fill a void is uh. It's pretty Buddhist, uh, it's like yeah, and it's but it's got a lot of stuff in like Western philosophy from any anything from like Schopenhauer to self help books. Well, it's, yeah, like uh, that's, yeah, like that's kind of the thing with like I talk about Satanism in the book. Uh, it's it is like the new metal Satanism, like Levain Satanism, 
Mm-hmm. And in terms of like, like that idea, the like the like destruction, uh, bringing things like into new creation. Yeah, I de- I basically feel like in in some ways like how like the Church of Satan works, like not like Luciferianism, but like this actual like Levian flavor of Satanism is that um, people join it and it is you know about it. It's basically it's kind of like a flavor of atheism. People aren't actually worshiping Satan. And I feel like they use it as a tool to, or they should use it as a tool to kind of deconstruct these puritanical habits that we've developed just from living in a puritanical culture. Because you can be not Christian, like you can be an atheist, but you might still be culturally puritanical. And I feel like Satanism is a really good tool to like deconstruct that, you know, um, and basically like break that down. Um, But then at some point you have to like move past that and like come out of it and like create a better self. And so I think um, that kind of like relates back to this like solve coagula idea or like kind of like what Lilith is trying to do is like she's going through this process of destruction, trying to figure her shit out. And I do, I kind of like leave it open-ended at the end where she, well, I shouldn't like ruin the ending for people, but um, like she kind of like comes to this place where it's like you kind of wonder where she's going to go next, you know, mm, like through – that. yeah like on a on a deeper spiritual level of like what she's trying to find so mm. yeah i'm gonna ask you about the ending like after the show because um i don't want to ruin it for people but i still want to like pick your brains on that one so okay. there's a really really strong ending thank you and, um, and yeah. actually i do have to go soon i can hear my baby crying i think oh, sorry. <laughs> you're okay. good um okay uh go real quick okay um mm-hmm. yeah book is amazing um satanism uh you edit a witchcraft journal? I do, Witchcraft Magazine, yeah. Witchcraft Magazine. Uh, when you uh, pitch, pitch that at people real quick? Yeah, it's a, it's a poetry, uh, fiction, um, you know, like essay and art magazine. Um, and basically our aim is to publish work that sort of uh, highlights like the like this dark side um, of life. Um you know, work that pulls emotions out of people, you know, which is kind of to me like a type of magic. Like you're using words basically to like elicit, you know, feeling, um, which is like conjuring in a way. Um, and I, and I edit that with my co-editor catch business who, um, is a poet, um, who is phenomenal. Like I love her poetry so much. And, um, we currently have been putting out like one issue a year. Um, we also have a publishing arm called Sad Spell Press where we occasionally publish like chat books um, and longer, you know, full length works. So, yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, feel free to ignore me if you're, you've got to look after the kid. But um, there's another thing that uh, the Pisces like made me think of uh, alongside this, which is like this kind of resurgence in mostly young women being into occultism nowadays. Like, there's a lot of people who are super into astrology, and mm-hmm. a lot of people are actually getting into like magic, magic, magic with a CK. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you put that down to? Um, I think a lot of it is a response to um, like the oppression of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Basically, Good. like I think that we live in such like in America, at least, you know, I, I can't speak to any anywhere else because I haven't lived anywhere else. Um, we live in such a like materialist sort of age. There's, um, you know, is it, it is a culture of consumption and of um, like nothing after this life, nothing outside of, you know, the physical realm, you know, type of there's this, this type of mentality that exists. And I think that people do push into magic a lot because it's a really easy way. Well, easy is relative, but it's a really good way to connect with the divine. Um, however someone defines that it's a way to be able to pull back power, uh, from power structures that have traditionally like held control over the. Oh, broken up. Yep. Flavors in certain, um, it was only the priests who were able to talk to God. And I think with, with magic and the occult that, um, is something that the common person can use to access that divinity for themselves, you know? Um, and I think that's part of like why there's 
such a resurgence of it is that, you know, people do, they want to feel empowered, you know, and they're trying to seek for meaning um, outside of like, you know, going to a fucking cubicle all day or, you know, like the glut of like advertisement that we're facing every day or, you know what I mean? Like, there's a there's a lot like they're trying to um, like wrest power back I guess like from the powerful. Mm. So I could probably say a lot more about that, but <laughs> cool. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it's, it's I see it. I keep seeing it everywhere nowadays. It's really really back. It's like being in like the 1900s when like Alistair Crowley was doing his thing. Or yeah. 1930s, the 40s. It's really but, awesome, uh, and yeah, it's really awesome. And unfortunately, though, too, because of that, I think that there are a lot of, like, larger companies that have seen it as a trend, and then they kind of try to capitalize on it, too. But at the same time, there's, like, a ton of, um, like, people, like, I guess, you know, like, entrepreneurs and stuff who have kind of, like, found a niche, um, like, in, like, the magic industry as well, which I think is good, because I think having this like decentralized network of people providing like services, like whether they're selling crystals or, um, you know, like making like small rituals to sell to people or just like, I've seen a lot of people who sell, they sell like rune sets that they burn themselves. Like all that kind of stuff is pretty cool when it's like the individual like business person, like trying to make a living for themselves, you know? Yeah. No, like big egos like Crowley who, kind of fucked everything up for decades yeah 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 I, I could go on about Crowley for a while I, I was like very much into that stuff when I was a kid being like a metal kid in a small town you kind of yeah. get to learn about him and Gerald Gardner and Israel Guardian and all, all those guys yeah uh, but um yeah let, let, let's let's wrap things up by okay um saying go out and read um animals eat each other because it's really fucking good i haven't scratched the surface of the like layers of meaning and what this could actually mean for people um i, I think if i was at a different point in my life um I'm not saying i would like i'd like it better like it more but it would like if, if i'd read this when i was like 18 to 20 this would like hit me like a ton of bricks um, whereas nowadays it's, it's, I enjoy it immensely. I can see the various philosophical and uh, sides of things, but, um, I think some people are going to really enjoy it as a great piece of literary fiction. Some people are going to be, oh God, this is me. I need to get my shit together, <laughs> which is like kind of most you can aim for with any work of art. So yeah, go out and read it. And um, you're working on some more stuff, and you're doing a journal, and you're online. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, people at home, follow Elle Nash. She's good. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, I'm going to cap off the episode by listening to some old school death metal. Awesome. Yeah. Um, He's got some guys called uh, Impalement from La Puente, California. Uh, it's, I met these guys on Twitter, or I met the, the vocalist slash bassist um, called Slugger Thick Mane. He's also a trap musician, because, I don't know, we live in a weird world where that can happen. And People are nuanced, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like... <laughs> Layers upon layers. Do not ask me to be consistent for I contain multitudes of a death metal and trap musician. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this is Impalement. Uh, we're going to do a song called Devour, because you know, animals eat each other. Devour, it's thematically appropriate. And um, yeah, Impalement, you can see them on Bandcamp. You can go to Amazon and or if you're actually a good person, you could go to an independent bookstore and buy uh, Animals Eat Each Other. You could follow uh, Elle on Twitter. Uh, what's your What's your Twitter handle? It's just at Elle Nash. It's, uh, it's sad erotica. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, it's actually a joke that. I made like a couple of years ago. <laughs> no, it, it, it works. I mean, that's kind of the, the genre of um, Animals Eat Each Other. Yeah, yeah. Which I didn't touch on, which is, this is a very sexy book. This is, um, well, kind of, yeah, it's, uh, 
there's a lot of sex. There's a lot of uh, stuff. And yeah, that's something for, for people to discover themselves in the mm -hmm. privacy of their own homes. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, listen to Impalement, um, read El Nash's books and journal and Twitter. And um, come back next week, because like I said, I'm going to be doing uh, an equally brilliant and sexy and odd and dark and sad book, um, Pisces by Melissa Broder. And uh, after that, we'll be doing, oh God, what, what's coming up? We got uh, Nia Reaction of Basilisk. We got New Tao Lin. We got uh, David Graeber's uh, Bullshit Jobs book. Um, we got so much stuff here. Honestly, it's all, all happening. There's, like we said, too much literature. And I've had to go to like two episodes a week just to cover this all. So stick around, give me reviews, listen to some old school death metal.